Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning. Uh, isn't it great to be in God's house on January 1st? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It is. I love being here. Thank you. Uh, we're going to read uh, from Romans 2, 23 through 29. So if you don't have your Bible, there's one in the seat below you, in front of you, and that's on page 884. So let's grab our Bibles, and um, we'll read from that. My name is Grant McCaslin. I am Cece's husband, and Jet Amaris Jersey and Beckett's dad, and I'm also Roger and Linda's son. So they're all sitting over here. Uh, yeah, you can clap for that too. That's awesome. This is family. I love being in church. Don't y'all love being here? This is such a huge blessing. And uh, it's awesome to read God's word. Now, this is a little bit of a tongue twister, so hang in there with me while I try to read this. Um, Romans 2, 23 through 29. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have written the code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. This is God's word. Um, if you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor on the preaching team. Uh, Happy New Year. It is a great place to start the new year uh, in the Word of God, in the house of God, singing. And um, there's a few announcements before we jump back into Romans. So if you've been here, we've been in Advent and we're going back to Romans. That's where we were at before we started our Advent series. Um, a few announcements is we're having a baptism on January 29th. So at both campuses, we're having baptisms. And so if you are interested in being baptized, uh, please contact Brad at thedoorchurch.net as we'll get in here. Baptism is an outward symbol of what God has done in your heart. And so even as we're preaching and looking at the word of God, in the spirit of God stirs up affections for Christ, the correct response to faith in Christ is baptism. And so as you have a heart changed towards Christ by the Spirit of God, you should go forward and say, this is what God's done in my heart. So there's an opportunity if you are new to the faith or if you thought you were Christian and like, oh, I didn't really know what it was about. It's a great opportunity to be baptized January 29th. I ask that you uh, email brad at thedoorchurch.net and he'll help you uh, with that. <clears throat> Second announcement is... Next week, we're going to have normal gatherings, so we just had a 10, 1030 today, so we'll have 9 and 1030 next week, so 
Sunday goes back to two gatherings. We'll have normal child care. It's not child care. It's TDC kids. We gospel those kids. There's a, a, a slip. We gospel those kids, and it's very important, but that'll be at 9 and 1030. Uh, and then lastly, you should have received an email. If we have your email, we're, we're, we try to contact you. If you didn't get an email, it's because we probably don't have it. You can fill out that connect card uh, and put it in the joy box. But we send an email about our reading plan. It's called the McShane reading plan. It takes you uh, through the scriptures uh, in a orderly fashion. It's my favorite. It's a good chunk of reading, but as you read God's word, it changes you. We believe the word of God is living and active. And as, it, as you read the word of God, it actually reads you and points you to Christ. And so uh, it's super important to be disciplined in the word of God. And so that is a recommended plan. But what we would say is have a plan this year, day one, to get in God's word. Because uh, you, you're not going to stumble into godliness. Like no one's ever like, how did I become more like Christ? Uh, it's by the spirit of God and the word of God, community gathering. So there's discipline. So God is opposed to earning. Hear that? That's only comes through Christ. That's how you can have a relationship with God. But he's not opposed to effort. We should discipline ourselves in the word of God. I'd encourage you, make a plan and be in God's word this year uh, and allow, allow the word of God uh, to change you. Um, so we'll jump into Romans 2, 23 through uh, 29. The sermon title for this morning is Praise, Praise Not for Man. So praise not for man. I'm going to pray before we jump in, and then we'll, we'll look at it. God, I thank you for this time. I pray, God, as we really unpack your word, that the glories of Christ would become more real. That as we start a new year, that you give us a new perspective, a new affection for, for Jesus, that we would see who we are in Christ and behold his glory and be changed in this moment uh, in this time together, that we'd worship in spirit and truth. I pray, God, as it says, that uh, we can fill your pleasure through your spirit, that you allow us to fill that this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, this is an interesting text because I just encourage you what to read the word of God. And in the word of God is the law of God. And it's super important to be in God's word. And in verse 23, it says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So what's interesting here, he's writing in context to people who are boasting what in what? The law. The law is in the Bible. And so I said, hey, you need to be in the Bible. You need to be in the word of God. He says, but here you're founding boasting in the law, boasting, so to speak, in the word of God. So it's kind of like, is it good to be in the word of God? Is it not good to be in the word of God? And I think the key here is they're boasting, they're boasting in the law of God. And in, in, in doing so, it dishonors, dishonors God by that being their boast. So I think this hits on a major issue that the Romans were de dealing with, which is, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I, 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 everyone thinks the Bible Belt thing, like confusing of what does it actually mean to be a Christian? I'll always challenge you on do you actually know what it means to be a Christian? But I think it's a, a, it's a hard issue of all times because our default mode is to do works, is try to earn God's love. And so right here, it's saying that you are boasting in the law which dishonors God. So the question here is, certainly we should read the word of God, but that shouldn't be our boast, our hope. It's not what we rely on. Verse 17 of Romans 2 actually gives more clarity to this, which we previously covered. It says, but if you call yourself 
a Jew. If you profess to be a Jew and rely on the law and boast of God, you could really just change out Jew for Christian there. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you profess, not possess being a Christian and rely on the law. So the question of your boast in the law and relying on the law, it says your reliance is not on Christ. It's on what you're doing. It's, it's on, on what you think you're performing. So what does it mean to be a Christian is very important because if you're relying on the law, you're relying on uh, your works, if you're, if you're not relying on Christ, it's dishonoring to God. But the main issue here is you have a very high view of self. You, you think that you, you kind of almost don't need Christ. You think you need a pick-me-up, but not a savior. So what does it mean to be a Christian? I, I get nervous because I think a lot of people think being a Christian is I just need to be a good person. I can't tell you how many times I preached and I try to preach Christ and Christ crucified and he's the only way that you're a sinner who needs a savior. And I've had people come up right after the sermon is like, I really like what you preached. I just need to be a little bit better. I'm like, how did you hear that? I mean, like I, I preached the exact opposite of you need to be a good person. Like you need, you need Christ, but that's what we hear. We preach Christ and we hear, I just need to be a little bit better. Or because you're here on New Year's, and I, and I applaud that, because it's a great, way, this, a great way to start the year. And Lord, Lord this is how we finish uh, the year, just by worshiping Christ together. But I, I, get, I get nervous. It's like, we think that we're the good ones in here. That's not what scripture says. This is not a holy huddle that we're better than the ones who aren't here, right? This is a hospital for sinners, people who need Jesus. I get nervous because I think a lot of people is like, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a covenant keeper, God loves me because I keep the commandments. I, I, read the, I read the Ten Commandments, and I'm like 99% sure I keep about a lot of them. And you're like, I'm good because I'm a covenant keeper. God looks at me, and he's like, man, well done. Uh, I think I get nervous, as Paul does here, that we grow up in a culture of Christianity. We'd say, well, you know what? We're, we're kind of a part of a Christian nation. At least we were founded on that. I go to a, maybe a private school. My parents are Christians. Uh, you have different ideas of relying on other things besides Christ and Christ alone. Some people would say, I'm conservative. I get nervous for you if you think Christian and conservative, conservativeness is one. See, you could, listen, you could be keeping all the commandments and not be a Christian. Isn't that crazy? That's what he's saying. Your boast is not in Christ. Your boast is is in the law. You're relying on the law, your performance. Um, and you, you don't understand, you can't achieve it. See, we have a, a high view of self. Now, what's interesting here is the reason why uh, these Romans and a lot of people in church have a high view of self is they have a wrong view of the word of God. I'm gonna say it again. The reason why we have a high view of self is we have a wrong view of the word of God. And in particular, we have a wrong view of the law of God. Because listen to what it says in verse 23 again. You who boast in the law, so not in Christ, not boasting in Christ, they boast in the law, what? They dishonor God. Why are they dishonoring God? Uh, by breaking the law. See, a lot of us don't understand the law was meant to be a humbling agent to show us our need not an achieving agent to say we succeeded. So let me say it a different way. The law was meant to be an x-ray 
to show you that you're broken. But a lot of people think this is the remedy. The law is the remedy to make me better. See, simply the law is a diagnostic cure that we can't cure ourselves to be a pointer to Christ. The law was given to us to say, you're the lawbreaker. It was a, it meant to be a humbling tool. As you look into the mirror, it's, it's most, it's, it's meant to show you your blemishes. So I don't know, I've, I've tried on clothes at, 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 at department stores and I always feel like, man, I, I, Sounds arrogant. I was like, man, I look pretty good here. I don't know if they make it longer, skinnier, whatever. And I go home like, man, I don't look like that. I get wider. It doesn't fit right. Um, and I think most of us take glances at mirrors sometimes and like, oh, we're pretty good. And I think some of us look at the word of God and like we take glances, but we don't look at it closely. And so this is supposed to be a diagnostic tool. If you've ever seen one of those makeup mirrors, so you can look in the mirror, like you're getting ready, like, oh, I look good. Then you look, my wife has a, one of those mirrors that you look and it's, and you, it's like magnified. And then you look at your face and you're like, oh my goodness, that's not my face. I mean, what happened under my eyes? I'm pretty sure that's, those are, it's black. I don't see black when I'm looking just normal. And this is the idea. As you look closely into the word of God, you're going to be like, oh no, that, that's pretty gross. And the more that you look at the word of God and particularly the law, you understand how, how far you fall short. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. So I'll give you an example. I've done this before and we do this often. We just take the 10 commandments. You're not getting like 90%. You're getting a zero. We're not gonna do that all this morning, but we fall short of the glory of God. And I'll give you uh, this illustration, how we are lawbreakers. Deacon, who's my eight-year-old, I don't know what he thinks a lot, but I love you, buddy. We were driving the car and he goes, dad, not tied to this sermon at all. He's like, do you steal? I'm like, no, no, I, I don't steal, son. Um, and then he goes, have you ever stole, stolen? And I was like, well, that's a different question. I can't think if I've, I'm steal, I've, I've ever stole, but if you ask him if I've ever stolen, well, that's a different question. I, I, I had to say, well, yes, I have stolen. I've taken things that aren't mine. I've cut corners. I've done things that are wrong. And so it's a different question are you stealing or have you ever stolen, right? And what I find is I fall short of the commandment of stealing. The other one I would just ask you is, do you lie? Most of us are like, well, I'm, no, I'm not a liar. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied? Well, of course you have. We, we tell shades of truth all the time. We, we, we present ourselves in ways that we want to perceive all the time. We omit things all the time. What I'd actually say is we are liars, that's what we do. We put on perceptions of what we want to be real. Again, we could go through the Ten Commandments. We are not covenant keepers. I mean, we are covenant breakers. And this is why we dishonor God. He says, is this really going to be your boast? Because you're falling way short of my standard. It says this in James chapter 2, verse 10. It'll be up on the screen. Um, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has to be what? become guilty of all of it. See, we are guilty of all the law, although we, have break, we break more of the law than we could ever fathom or imagine. So what is the problem? A lot of us think we're pretty okay. The scripture would strongly disagree with you. Your life would strongly disagree with you that we are not okay. God's not looking down on you and being like, you're a pretty good person. 
That's not, that's not the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity is God is holy, righteous, and good, and we are sinners that fall short. Now, a lot of us right now, even as I go through that, hopefully you feel convicted that you are a lawbreaker, because that's true. Hopefully that's the spirit of God working in you, that you're a lawbreaker. But a lot of us can't even recognize that we actually believe that. So right here in verse 24, it shows us symptoms of those who think they're okay, but scripture saying you're not okay. And you're going to look at the Simpsons to get the diagnostic that you're building your own righteousness, not on Christ, but on yourself. It says this in verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is being blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. So the spirit of God that helps us rule on Christ, we're supposed to display the, really the character of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. This is what the church is supposed to display to the world. But it says the world's blaspheming you because of your hypocrisy. Now, symptoms that you're a self-righteous person and not relying on Christ helps us here. It's saying that we're hypocrites, that the world out there sees our hypocrisy, but we don't. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a few questions. If you, to, to help diagnose, do you have a high view of self and, and really not the right view of Christ? Um, that if you, if you think that you are, your works save you, that on the basis of your, 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 your good deeds or your performance or your background, that God, God's good with you, you have certain dispositions. One, if you think that you've achieved something, you've achieved really this judgmental, smug attitude that the world out, out, out there that, that you think's not good is going to see your smugness, smugness, because smug means simply that you are well pleased with oneself, that the world can look at you and say, man, they are full of pride and arrogance, smug, that you, you think that you're a pretty good person. Now, what's interesting the church is known for this. They are known for being judgmental, hypocritical, and smug, not welcoming and generous. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of self-righteousness. Even Jesus gets out this with the rich young ruler. He comes to, the, to Jesus, he goes, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to basically inherit eternal life? And then Jesus, just being who Jesus is, why do you call me good? Only God's good. Because he doesn't understand what's good. He doesn't have the right standard. He has a high view of self. And then Jesus is, tries to bring him down to have an accurate view of self. He's like, well, it says, in, it says in the law, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. And the rich young ruler, being smug, says, I've kept that from my youth. And Jesus is like, what's so interesting? It says Jesus loves him. And says, sell all your things and follow me. And I'm telling you this morning, because Christ loves you. He says, you're not getting it. If you're not convicted by the Ten Commandments that you fall way short of the glory of God, you're missing it. You don't understand Christ. You do not understand Christianity. If you think you're better than anyone, you haven't even begun the Christian faith. These, this is not the, 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 the who's who's, the people who got it together. You know what the church is? It's the have nots. That, that's the church. Would you consider yourself those people? Or do you think that you're better than the people out there? If that's your attitude, I'm telling you, according to scripture, you're not even a Christian. You don't get it. 
It's for the broken, the least of these, the ones out there. Those are the people that, 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 that Christ attracts. Another a symptom of self-righteousness and judgmentalness is that you're oversensitive. Know why? Because if you're building a righteousness of your own, can you be criticized? Well, no. Why? Because that's your, that's your righteousness. That's your everything. That's why we do there's no perfect people here. We're trying to say, hey, you're not perfect. God says you're not perfect. Everyone knows you're not perfect. We're trying to bring you into the realities of the humble position that you need Christ. Now, I'm telling you, I struggle with this. I can hear a thousand compliments and one critique. You know where my mind goes? The one critique. And it shows me I still deal with some level of self-righteousness. And I just need to confess that. Say, uh, every time I preach, I have to get up and say, man, these people are not my righteousness. Know why? Because I care what you think. And really, I just need to care what God says. Are you, are you oversensitive to the critiques of your spouse? Can you have a listening ear? Why? Because if you can't, you're, you're, you're building your own righteousness. Have you ever had a performance review and just had a rebuttal for everything that someone says about you trying to maybe help you? You know, <laughs> i tell you what we're oversensitive about is parenting. I, I have parents. If you do something different with your parents, you critique that person because you're like, no, homeschool the way to go. No, private school is the way to go. No, this is the way to go. And you're like, you know, this bedtime, this schedule, this is how you, it, we're all defending our righteousness. Um, I can tell you, <laughs> critiquing my kids in any activity that they're in, they don't like it. Why? Because we're trying to build our okayness. It's an interesting idea. The reason why we're all oversensitive to critiques because it screams the truth that we're not okay. And deep down inside, we know it's true. We know it's true. And so we try to defend it. We try to justify it. We try to cover it. And the truth is we're not okay. And only the righteousness of Christ will be sufficient enough to strengthen us. Another symptom of being self-righteous and not righteous in Christ is that we are, we are over-anxious people. Some of, the, some of the, the most people I'm most concerned about are the people who can't rest well, like just can't just rest in the Lord, but they're always trying to perform. Why? Because they're trying to build a resume that they're okay, they're righteous, they're trying to build works. Um, it's one of the things I see in, actually in church, the people who over-serve in church I'm nervous for, because I'm, I'm going to ask you why. Why are you serving so much? I'm hoping it's from grace, that you're so amazed by the grace of God that it's compelling you to love others as you've been loved. But what, what a lot of times I see is people trying to earn God's love by their service. And there's, that's why you're always going to be looking around, have I done enough? It's like the rich young ruler, have I done enough? What must I do? Is there anything else? I've done this from my youth. There's no rest in Christ you're always looking at, have I done enough instead of saying that Christ has done enough for me? So this is some symptoms that you're not in Christ, that you are relying on your self-righteousness. These are people that would call themselves Jews. These are people that would profess Christ but not have possessed what Christ has done for them. That's heavy. This is why we preach Christ to the church. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're in Christ. There's a difference. Now, verse 25 to 27 is a tongue twister, it's a mouthful. And I'll, I'll 
kind of unpack. I'll read it and just tell you what, what kind of the, the main meaning. For circumcision indeed is of, uh, uh, indeed of a value if you obey the law. So what's going in your mind, and, and clearly the Romans' mind probably here, is like, wait a minute here, Paul. Wait a minute here, Scott. Hold your horses. We are people. We're people of the circumcision. You clearly forgot we're God's people. Right Then he goes on to say, and, uh, for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Verse 26, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps, uh, keeps the law will condemn you. Uh, you, who have, who, you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. So what he goes here is he's arguing the point that these people would be like, you say that we're not Jews, but we are of circumcision. We are of God's people. We are the, uh, the covenant of belonging. And I think some people wouldn't hear be like, Scott, I hear what you're saying, but I grew up in church. I've always, I've always come. I, came, I went on Sunday evenings. I have been baptized. I've taken communion. I've been confirmed. My parents say I'm okay. I grew up Baptist. I grew up Methodist. I grew up Presbyterian. They're pointing to, look at my, my heritage. Look at my outward signs. And Paul would say to you in verse 28 this. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, in circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. He, what, what Paul is saying is like, you can't make yourself a Christian. You can't make yourself a Christian by your doing, your achieving, your family, even how you appeal to the world or appear to the world. It's not something you can do. <laughs> He's saying you should have no confidence. How much confidence? Zero confidence in your heritage, in, in, in your outward signs. He goes, it's a matter of what? The spirit of God in your inner being, in your heart. It's an inner circumcision. It's a supernatural melting of the heart by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's love for you as sinners. That's what makes you a Christian. The spirit of God by the love of Christ. That's it. It's in your inner being. Now, some of you are like, it's something you can't do, you can't achieve, it's received, and it has to be done by, from the Spirit of God. If I was writing this sermon, and this is what came to mind, like, well, where do we go from here? Scott, you just said there's nothing I can do. There's, there's no way I can receive it. It's by the Spirit of God. Where do we go from here? If I can't make myself a Christian, well, what am I going to do? Well, that's one thing that's so amazing about this text, is that we can't do anything, but here's what we're going to do is we're gonna behold the beauty of Christ. That's what makes you a Christian. It's when the spirit of God says you can't achieve, but it's something that you receive in Christ and it cuts you to the heart. That's what he just said. It's in your inner being that changes you. The love of God changes you in your inner being. It says this, as the gospel's being preached, these are people that, that saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, and a, and a sermon was being preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. And as they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, he lived, and he died, and he rose again. He did it for you, sinners. It says, now when they heard this, what does it say? They were cut to the heart. It says their heart melted. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? My question is, have you been cut to the heart? 
Has your heart started to melt? Has your affection started to grow for Christ? Have you confessed your sin? Have you been humbled? Have you got a low view of self? See, the word of God, the word of God, and this is why I want you in it, it will bring a low view of self. And I'm like, well, that's not good, but it'll give you a high view of Christ by the spirit of God. That's what we want. As you come to the word of God, it will humble you. It will humble you in your flesh, but it'll lift you up by the spirit of God and say, this is who you are. This is who you are in Christ. It's a circumcision of the heart. Now, how do you get that? How do you become cut to the heart? You gotta see what Christ has done for you. That's the only way. So let me give you an example. This is a very weird text. Can we all agree? It's talking about circumcision and covenants. It's like, it's different, right? So why in the world is Paul talking about circumcision? Well, it's the mark of the covenant. It's a mark that these are God's people. They're the people of the old covenant. They are people of the law. They are God's people. And it's saying that it's his people. The circumcision is a sign that so he, this is his people for those who keep the law. And it's also a mark if you do not keep the law, the circumcision, you should be cut off. So if you don't know your Bible, Genesis 15 is actually a very helpful text in understanding all the scripture. Genesis 15 is where God comes and makes a, a covenant with Abraham. He says, through your line, I'm going to be a blessing. You know what he does to set up the covenant? He gets these animals and he cuts them in two. And Abraham is expecting to walk through the animals saying, if I don't uphold the covenant, I'll become like these animals. I'll be cut off. And then what you find in a surprising, shocking manner in Genesis 15 is God walks through the animals. Now, this is what's happening here. We are covenant breakers. Christ is the covenant keeper. And you know what he did being the covenant keeper? He went to the cross to deal with our curse. He became circumcised for us. He was cut off from God for you, a sinner. This is why in Mark 15, verse 34, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see that God was forsaken for you? Why? So you could be accepted and loved and known. Can you imagine the agony that Jesus felt? Do you know why he did that? So you could feel the embrace and the love of the Father forever. This is what he's done for you. He became accursed. Why? Because this is what we deserved. Isaiah 53, verse eight says it really well. It says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his, uh, for his generation who considered that he was cut off, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. He was cut off from the land of the living. Why? Because of the sins of humanity. Do you understand that's what Jesus has done for you? He was cut out so you could be brought in, that you could be forgiven. Now, I'm preaching the gospel to you, his life for your life. He was seeking them so you could be accepted. His, his death for your life. Now listen to what it says in verse 29b. This is what it's like to be cut to the heart. His praise is not from man, but from God. As the spirit of God gives you a, a new heart, new affections, you know what happens? It illuminates the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ for you. Do you want to know if you're saved? Has the gospel become beautiful to you? Does it mean anything to you when I say that you have been forgiven? As far as east is the west, your sins are no more. Does it mean anything to you that God looks at you and says, you're, you're mine, that you're loved, that you're accepted, that you're the object of his praise? Do you know what that comes by? 
by Christ and Christ alone. The only way that you could be forgiven, the only way you could be known, the only way you'd be accepted, the only way you could be an object of his praise is by Christ. The only way that you subjectively believe that is by the spirit of God. Are you being cut to the heart? Do you actually believe what Christ has done for you? Has your heart swollen with the affection for God, that spirit rot? Do you understand in Christ, you have the smile of God on you. Do you believe that? That's the spirit of God. The praise of man starts to die down and the praise of God starts to arise. See, it says in the great song, Amazing Grace, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was grace that taught my heart to stand in awe. You know what it means to stand in awe of God to understand that your sins have been forgiven. Does that move you? Does it change you? Does it transform you? That is what it means to be a Christian, to be cut to the heart that God loves a sinner like you and me that he gave his only begotten son so you could have the smile of God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us respond by faith, that we would right now experience your spirit this morning. It'd be evidence that our heart would grow in deep affection for what Christ has done for us, that we are truly forgiven, that we're fully known and accepted that we have the promise of resurrection. God, that you are pleased with us, not because of anything that we could do, because what Christ has done. I pray that we would taste the benefits of Christ as very sweet this morning, that we fill your pleasure, Father, by your spirit through your son. I pray that we would confess and repent of self-righteousness, of relying on our law, relying on our good works, relying on our heritage, relying on anything besides Christ. Only Christ is sufficient. Help us respond in worshiping Christ in spirit and truth. Spirit of God, melt our hearts, maybe for the first time, but once again, that we turn our eyes to Jesus and as we sing, we'd feel the pride of the Father, not because of our achievement, because of Christ, and that we'd rest well, rest well in his son. I ask that in Jesus' powerful name, amen.